Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job or told that person in high school how much you liked them? Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you all about our new mini-series, Sliding Doors Your Story, that's coming out this spring. Do you have an extraordinary sliding doors moment that changed your life or know someone that does? I'm talking about those real what if moments in life where if something hadn't have happened, your life just wouldn't be the same. A split decision, which could have meant life or death, finding the love of your life, missing that train. If so, we really want to hear from you. We're looking for podcast guests to come on and tell their story to our listeners So whether you have a story to tell or know someone that does, we really want to hear from you. Please go into the podcast notes wherever you get your podcasts and click on the application form. We cannot wait to hear from you. Now on with this week's episode. My guest today is Martin Kemp. Martin is an actor, musician and director, best known as the bass guitarist in Spandau Ballet and playing the role of Steve Owen in EastEnders. He grew up in North London alongside his older brother Gary and in 1979 joined his band and Spandau Ballet were formed and they became one of the biggest bands of the 80s, touring the world and having huge success with songs such as True and Gold, still regulars on our radio stations today. Martin is also equally known for his acting career, starring in films such as The Craze and playing the villain Steve Owen in EastEnders winning Best Male Actor numerous times at the NTAs and also playing Billy Finn on the West End stage. As well as all of this, he is also a best-selling author with his autobiography True and his joint biography with his wife Shirley. And success really runs in the family 
with their son Roman being a DJ on Capital Breakfast and daughter Harley Moon being an award-winning country music singer and songwriter. Today, Martin can still be seen on our screens as a fan favourite on Celebrity Gogglebox and on his new show on BBC Two, Rock Till We Drop. And all of this when he's not touring around the UK with his Back to the 80s DJ set. He's had such an amazing career in life and I can't wait to delve into the moments and decisions that have shaped it for him. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Martin. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I love the podcast. It's beautiful. It's so great. And actually, we've been really excited to have you because this is a first for us today. You're the first kind of couple that we've had on the podcast separately. But we had Shirley on with the lovely Pepsi um, last series. So this will be lovely to see maybe like the opposite side of some of the things that she said. I know Shelley did it, and she said to me, "Oh, you've got to go on. Do it. You've got to go and do that one." So, so here I am. Ah, oh, here you are. Um, well, thank you. And I guess I just wanted to start by asking, um, what were you like as a child? So, you know, did you grow up wanting to be a pop star? Did you grow up wanting to be something different? What was a young Martin like? I was the shyest little boy you can really? ever imagine. I had that kind of shyness that was almost to the point where it was a sickness. You know, like uh, uh, to be, I'll give you an example. Like if I was walking home from school with my mum and I was holding my mum's hand and I would see like one of my best mates across the road and we caught eye to eye contact, I would like burst into sweat and almost want to cry because he had seen me. And, uh, and I had that kind of shyness and it was, it was an awful thing to cope with that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I was really lucky because across the road from where I lived in Islington yeah. was uh, a drama club opened up by a lady, a young lady called Anna Scher, and uh, which went on to be uh, the world famous Anna Scher's Children's mm-hmm. Theatre. Uh, and I joined that. So by the time I was 15, I'd done all of those 1970s TV shows like Play for Today, yeah. Comedy Playhouse, all of that stuff. And and but my mum never put me in that drama club to become an actor. She uh-huh. put me there to get rid of my shyness. Wow. Uh, and that was me, you know, the shyness kind of when I look back at being a kid was the overriding factor for me in my life. And uh it took a lot for it to come out of. But it was definitely being put into the drama club at such a young age and being put in the middle of a, a group of kids and being asked to perform for a period of months. Yeah. So it was uh, it was the right move for me. And I think it's the right move for a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. Um, if parents ever get the chance to put their kids in a drama club or anything like that, you will bring the best out in your kid. Definitely. And uh, you prepare them not to become an actor, but for life. Yeah, it's life skills, isn't it? It's transferable yeah. skills, it's communication skills. And and what did yeah. you grow up, what did you want to be? Like, you know, a shy Martin, what were your aspirations as a child? I wanted to be a footballer. Did you? Uh... Like all kids from, <laughs> from where I grew up, you know, I, I dreamt of playing for Arsenal when I was a kid. Really? Um, you know, my wall was just full, filled with pictures of Arsenal, Charlie George and Arsenal picking the FA Cup up. Uh so I wanted to be a footballer, but obviously that never worked out. <laughs> well, it doesn't for most kids. Yeah, well, I think what did work out was pretty good for you. Um, and I wanted to take it to kind of the days in Spandau because, like, what was some? What would you say is one of the craziest things you did in the band? Looking back now when you're just like, I cannot believe I actually did that in my life. I, I think the craziest thing is that you work your way up to playing football stadiums as a yeah. band. You know, you're playing in front of 120. 
I mean, at one point we played in front of 160,000 people in Madrid. And when I look back on that, I can't believe how ordinary it, it was. Felt, yeah. Uh, but to anybody else, that's like walking on a, a different planet, you yeah. know. But at the point you do that, because you've been working your way up gradually, you mm-hmm. know, going from like the, the 3,000 proscenium arch stage, like Hammersmith Odeon, to, to like Wembley or, or, or you know, uh, 14,000 seaters, uh, like the O2 or whatever. Yeah. And then you... Um, by the time you get to 160,000 people, it becomes matter of fact. Yeah. And when I look back at that, and I think that that my band achieved that, uh, it is absolutely blows my mind. Um, and it's a wonderful thing to experience, you know, because you know you walk on stage in front of that many people that are chucking so much love at you yeah. is an awesome experience. Um, and that for anybody who says it's not, is is not real. Yeah, it's an incredible experience. And I'm guessing that like, if you really brought it back, if like shy little Martin was like, one day you're going to be on a stage, you'd be like, absolutely no way. Oh, but not just on a stage. I was giving it 100% rock God. Yeah. You know, <laughs> legs spread apart, arms up in the air, windmills, and the whole pop star thing. And uh, so it was transformed. But I don't think I would have got there. Yeah. If it wasn't for the drama club, mm-hmm. you know, I always said to Anna Sher and her, you know, that drama club that I went to and I was there for probably about eight or nine years, I suppose. Um, I think she was responsible for 50% of my personality. Incredible. Uh, that she gave me because I think when I went there, I didn't have that. You know, yeah. I didn't have confidence. I didn't have a personality as such, and she gave it to me. So everything that I've ever achieved, I always uh, will say thank you to her. Yeah, what a lovely story. Um, I love that so much. I, I had no idea you were so shy, and it's, it's it's actually a really it's so nice for other people to hear because I sometimes think that we think that, mm. especially pop stars and stuff, are just born the way that they are on stage, and they're really not. And actually, it's always a journey for everybody. Um, so Shirley spoke a bit about kind of your brilliant love story of how you two met. And I know from her beliefs, she's very much a big believer in kind of like the power of instincts and she like knows when she's going to meet people. And, you know, you've both spoken before numerous times about how you both like fancied each other before you met. Have you got kind of a similar outlook to Shirley in the sense of like you feel like people come into your life for reasons or what's your kind of thoughts around all of that? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, definitely coming to your life for a reason. And uh, I think the older I get as well is, I, I, you know, my big regret in life, I think, is letting friends go too easily. You yeah. know, and I think that comes from um, working in entertainment where you meet lots of kind of transient friends, where, yeah. where you work on a show and yeah. they become your best friends, your mm-hmm. family. Everyone yeah. says, this is like a family. And they become your family for, for the eight weeks or 12 weeks that you're on that show. But then 10 days after, you've forgotten about them yeah. and you're on the next job. Yeah. So, and the next best friend, your next best family. So uh, um, they become kind of transient. And I, I think when I look back, all of the work that I've ever done over, what, a period of, like, uh, 50 years mm-hmm. in entertainment, you know, I'm 60 now, maybe I started when I was 10. Yeah. And um, 50 years, I think I can count the friends that I've taken along with me on, my, on one hand. Yeah. Uh, and I regret that. 
a lot, you? you know. Um, so for any young actors out there, hang on to the nice people. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, you hung on to the nicest one because you're still with Shirley and it's such a lovely story. And she, oh, one of she's her, the best one. She's the best. Of course she is. And yeah. one of her actual signed doors moments was actually about when you had your two brain tumours, which I think a yeah. lot of people probably don't even know because of how incredible you are now. And she spoke a lot about how it changed her life. And I wanted to ask, you know, how did that whole experience change your outlook on life? Going through that brain tumour period, back in 1995, which lasted probably about four years. Mm -hmm. I always look back at that and find as if I was in some kind of car crash. You know, one minute I didn't know I had it. The next minute I was on the operating table for like 12 hours and being pulled apart. And that whole experience lasted for four years. Um, They found one brain tumour in the back of my head that was cut out physically you know, it's about as big as this huge grapefruit wow. in the back there. And uh, they, while they were getting that out, they found another one the size of a walnut that was sitting in the middle of my brain. So the whole thing lasted about four years, you know, getting it, coming through it. Um, how does it affect your outlook in life when you come through something like that? Massively yeah. for about a year. And then you physically want to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. You want to forget about it. Uh, you know, that was a horrific time. You know, I don't want to take that time with me for the rest of my life thinking, you know, uh, constantly looking at life through rose-tinted glasses. That's no good for anyone. Yeah. I found myself getting back to normal really quickly. But Shirley and the rest of my family that stood around my bed for the best part of every day for four years, crying because they thought I was on the way out. Um, It lasted with them an awful lot longer. Mm -hmm. And I could see the effects when I had come through it and was thinking about moving on and getting back to, back to real life. I could see the effects and the draining effects and and everything that it had taken out of them. Uh, Even to this day now, you know, when I talk, talk about it, I think it hits, Shirley and my brother and anybody who was around at that time, it hits them a lot harder in in the memory zone than it does does me. Because for me, it was, like I said, it was like a car crash. I was in it and I had to get myself out of it. Uh, For most of the time, I was drugged up to the eyeballs and not knowing what was quite going on. And they Um, did, yeah. but, But listen, Shirley, I couldn't have done it without Shirley. It's such a good uh, point that you make because it's, you know, it's so hard for both people living through it. It's hard for the people around the person. It affects them in such different ways. And um, I think, you know, the outlook of just trying to get back to normal and just having that focus of I need to do that. Um, And I guess, as you say, you've both been affected in different ways by it. Um, And it's incredible. It's just amazing how you kind of turned yourself around. And as I say, people just wouldn't even have a clue that that was even part of your life. I'd tell you a funny thing that happened as well was about coming out of that brain tumor period was at the end of the four years, five years, I was, um, I was offered the part in EastEnders mm-hmm. and, uh, which takes me on to like Steve Owen. And when I went up for that part, when I got the part of Steve Owen, my confidence was absolutely on the floor. Right? Was, I had no yeah. confidence. I had no, my the, any charisma that I ever had in my body had disappeared. And I even my brain wasn't working in the way I wanted it to work. Like, 
I still remember I was going through periods where I wanted to walk right, then I would walk left. Yeah, wow. And if I wanted to go to the loo, then I would go to the landing. Mm-hmm. And it was I, it was just messed up. Confused, yeah. And I was waiting for it to heal back together, you know, for the electro the electronics to find new roots around the brain yeah. to, to help me out. And uh, so, but when I got the part of EastEnders, because I was playing this super confident Steve Owen, um, charismatic, you know, knew, knew, his, knew himself, knew who he was, um, knew how to work with others, uh, I kind of stole his confidence mm-hmm. and his charisma. And I put that back in my own body. And it was through him, I think, that it led me on to um, my recovery. Because before I started that job, I was literally on the floor. I was depressed. I couldn't couldn't think straight. My brain wasn't working. Started EastEnders with Steve Owen, and he was a massive healing factor in my life. What a a great way to put it as well, because as you say, I think... You know, you had to, by channeling someone else, probably just really helped you with your recovery. Um, And we'll talk a bit more about your tiny standards later on. Um, And I also want to say, so I mentioned before, you have a really successful household um, of Kemp's. And I think what is really apparent for kind of the world is that you're all very down to earth as people. I think all of you are. And I wanted to ask, was that always your intention from you and Shirley to have a really kind of like down to earth family, no matter what they did? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, it was about when we had a young family, it was about making us four, me, Shirley, Harley, my daughter, and Roman, my boy. It was about us make it was about me making us four a gang, mm-hmm. uh, a gang of friends. And so, which came under a lot of fire from uh, other parents, uh, the kids' schools, really? you know, at the time, because there was this thing, a thing about oh, don't treat your kids like friends, treat them like, you know, you've got to have this parent-kid relationship uh, to put everything in order. And I didn't agree with that at all. You know, I wanted Harley and Roman to be my best friends. Yeah. And that way, if they did something wrong, they would feel that it's it's upset me. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, you don't want to upset your friend. And so we never had me telling the kids off or Shirley telling them off. It was about them losing our respect yeah Uh, and I think I got that from my parents you know um that the the reason why I be uh stay as a good kid was it was I didn't want to lose my mum and dad's respect and I think I got that from them but it was about making us for a a gang yeah Uh, and and I I suppose as well it came from the fact that Shirley and I uh, at the point, at that point, we're in the public eye, and uh, people, lots of people, want to kind of take your energy mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Definitely. So it was about keeping us for tight. Yeah. Uh, and so it was, it was a different upbringing for Harley and Roman, and it was a different way for me to approach it. But it worked for us. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying it works for everyone. Exactly. But, but you it did. For us. You did a brilliant job. And as I say, it's so <clears throat> apparent to everybody that that like that closeness that you have, but also kind of the respect you have for each other. And what is it like now when you kind of get to work with your kids on all the different projects that you do? It's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Uh, because because Roman is so good at yeah. his job. You know, he's so good. He's great. He always was articulate. You know, mm-hmm. he was always the kid that would go into school in the morning and the teacher would 
put in the middle of the classroom before assembly uh, and get him to do impersonations really? of other teachers. <laughs> he was always the entertainer. Yeah. So, so you know, when he was about, I think, about 12 years old, I bought him his first DJ decks. And uh, we used to have a room in the house that it was set up for him. And he would go down there and he, he would entertain everyone Amazing. for hours playing this DJ. Uh, so he is in exactly the right place. But working with him is, is wonderful. But Harley as well. Harley uh, has her own advertising company now. Yeah. Uh, she makes TV adverts and she also she also sings. As yeah, you know, she's incredible. You know, she, has a, she makes her own music. So, uh, so I'm really proud of her. You've also got a new show out, which I mentioned before, which is Rock Till We Drop. And that looks like a hell of a lot of fun to have made. Was it amazing? Oh, so much fun. <laughs> I bet it was. I'll tell you. Because it was so much fun because it was about giving people their dream. Oh, yeah. It was about, you no, know, I know what it's like in that position when uh, being a musician when you're a kid and you wake up in the morning in your bed and you look around at the walls and the posters on the wall, like whether it's Elvis Presley, whether it's uh, uh, David Bowie or whoever it was who was your idol, you laid in bed and you dreamt one day that I would like to be like them and I would yeah, want to be, be on the stage in front of 100,000 people playing yeah. a festival in the sunshine, you know. So to be able to give that to people who thought that that moment had gone, and we're talking absolute sliding doors. Oh, yeah. yeah, they're incredible, these people. I've seen because, some of it. Because life, they were on a path that they thought when they were younger that they were going to be on stage and, yeah. you know, being a successful musician. But life comes along, sliding door moment, and they end off going to on a completely different direction. Totally. So what we tried to do on this show was give them back that end goal and, you know, give them back their best lives. Incredible. And it's just, as you say, it's just such, it, we get so much joy out of seeing other people fulfill their dreams yeah. and their joy. And it's brilliant. So everyone should go and watch it because it's such a feel good program. Um, so before we go on to talk about your moments, I wanted to ask you, so what do you believe in when it comes to the kind of theory of everything happening for a reason, fate, timing, coincidence, kind of the whole sliding doors theory? What are your thoughts around it? I've never been a big one of fate. Okay. I've always been like, uh, you create your own luck. Mm -hmm. And um, because I always felt like if it wasn't me creating the luck, then then you kind of feel like, I feel like I've cheated. Yeah. Because it's just happened for a reason. Mm -hmm. And somebody else has pushed me in the right direction. And I don't think that's particularly fair. Yeah. You know, I think... I like to think that what I've made the right moves to mm -hmm. get to where I'm going. So when someone says, so oh, it's all fate, I kind of feel a little bit cheated. I'm cheating uh -huh. myself out of that. So uh, I don't really like the idea of that. I always think, uh, I think you have to, um, when you're younger, uh, where you get to in life is a kind of mixture of preparation and um and skill yeah and we often talk about this on the podcast we speak a lot about how it is about the opportunities that are presented to you and as you say and the hard work and determination but sometimes it's it's you know fate can come along but if you're not ready yeah. to take the opportunity then then you're not going to get it and it's not going to work out for you so it's you, a mixture of the two you, 
Yeah, you've got to be prepared for that moment when fate does come along. Yeah. You know, like Shirley uh, got into a few years back, you know, Shirley really got into with everybody else. Feng Shui. Feng Shui, right? yeah. <laughs> so, so about where you put your furniture in the room. Yeah. And is the wardrobe pointing in the right direction so you're going to be successful, right, and all of that. <laughs> yeah. And then... And, but I, it used to drive me insane because, like, if I used to get a good job, Shirley would say, that's because we put the wardrobe over there. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the wardrobe. Oh, I love it's that. It's to do with the fact that I did it right. The audition went well because I was I did it right. No, nothing, nothing to do with you. It's all Shirley. She put the wardrobe. the bed. <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Like, because I felt cheated. Yeah. No, you're like, I yeah, actually so, worked for so this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I worked hard for this. Not where I put the bed. <laughs> So, oh gosh. so uh, but that's kind of like kind no of and like that's I think out. why you and Shirley work well together because she is so spiritual and actually it yeah. probably fits both together um oh that's yeah. great and it leads us nicely into your first moment so it's the moment that Steve Dagger Spandau Ballet's manager asked me to be in the band when I was 17 so I actually never knew this story um and it's a real sliding doors moment in your whole life um oh, so yeah, do you want to absolutely. explain to us what happened what were you doing at the time and how did he come to ask you to be in the band I was, at the time, I was, uh, I must have been about 17, and my brother had a school band called The Makers. Yeah. And I would be their roadie, right? So mm-hmm. when they used to have little gigs and stuff, they would play to like 100 people, maybe 50 people in the local pub or club. Yeah. And it would mostly be their mates that would come down from school to watch them. You know, they used to rehearse in the school music room, one of yeah. those. Uh, and I used to be the roadie. I used to go out with Gary and and I, I would set up the equipment. I would put the amp up there and plug the guitar in and make sure it works and then walk to the back of the hall and have to watch them play. Yeah. And I can't tell you how jealous I was. Really? You know, I was, oh, I was kind of like green with envy that Gary was up there and I wasn't, you know. And I've said it a few times, you know, I used to go home and lay in bed and and hope and pray that something terrible was going to happen to one of them <laughs> so, that, so that I could stand in. Uh, oh. And it was one of those moments, you know. Yeah. I mean, lots of guys have had that moment where, where you go and watch Arsenal or you go and watch your favourite football team. And there's this little bit inside you that the thinks thing. the manager's going to come out and he might see you <laughs> and say, I can Martin, come down. <laughs> we, we need you on the pitch. We've got a shirt. Oh, amazing. I had this, I, and so I wanted to be in that band like you can't imagine. And what were you doing at the time? Were you, were you, were you working or were you still at school or what were you doing? I was uh, an apprentice in the print. Okay. So I was an apprentice compositor. So right. I was going to work every day. Uh, I think I'd only been there about six months because I was only like 17, you know. Yeah. So, um, so I, I was kind of, it was a... It, but to be fair, it was a good job from where that area was, mm-hmm. how that area was, that working class area. Uh, so my dad got me that job. Uh, so, you know, it was something I had to look after for yeah. him. Uh, but but anyway, I was uh, Stephen Woman, who was a saxophone player in the band. It was his 18th birthday party. And I remember standing with Steve Dagger. Now, Steve Dagger is, was the band's manager back then yeah. and still is the band's manager today. Right? He's still Spandau Ballet's manager really? today. Wow. The, the loveliest man you can ever imagine. And I love him dearly. 
Uh, and I'm standing next to him, and we're both kind of like the worst for wear. Mm-hmm. And Steve turned out, turned around to me, and out of nowhere said to me, "Martin, I want you to be in the band. I want you to. If we ever make it to top of the pops, I want you to be with us." He said, and uh, and I said straight away, and I remember it as clear <laughs> as anything. You better ask my brother, yeah, <laughs> because I know I know my brother didn't want me in the band. I was going to ask you that. You know, I was going to say, younger, what was his thoughts? Yeah, I was his younger brother. Yeah, you know, he didn't want me. If he was out touring in the world, he didn't want me to come around with him. So, um, so anyway, I got my mum to ask him, and <laughs> as my, we always do, my, my mum didn't ask. My mum didn't ask him. She told him. She said, <laughs> "If you're going." He's going. <laughs> so uh, in the end, um, they put me in the band. And, uh, and it really was the first sliding door moment of my life. And I, I don't think, you know, we talk about these moments. I don't think you have many of them in no. your life. And when they come along, you have to make the right decision. You have mm-hmm. to make the most of it. And, um, and I remember clearly uh, uh, Steve Dagger said to me, you've got three months to learn how to play 14 songs on a bass guitar. Could you play, and, any, could you play the bass guitar? Uh, I couldn't play bass guitar, but I could play uh, a little, I could play three chords on a guitar. Okay. Where I'd learned punk songs. Yeah. Uh, and which it seemed daunting at the time, but you can't imagine how much I wanted to be in that band. Yeah. You know, it was everything to me. So, um, I sat down and I and I learned those songs and and uh, the next thing I knew I was on stage with the band and we changed our name to uh, the Gentry. Gentry, okay. Uh, and I was I was up on stage where I always dreamt I wanted to be, but it was it, again, you know, it was about um, uh, it was about the moment coming along, but being prepared for the yeah. moment as well. You know, Definitely. so mentally, the way that I thought about it for so many, for uh, you know, a couple of years of being the roadie and putting myself in that position mentally. Visualization. Um, visualization. Yeah. Absolutely. And before I knew it, it had come true. So uh, that was, I think, one of the, the biggest turning points in my life. I bet it was. And did did Steve know your massive aspirations to be in the band? Or was it kind of, did he just, like, did, was it just a vision that he had to put you in the band? It was a vision that he had. Really? That think, makes it even better. I think I, think I implanted it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I put the word out there. Zing, 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 zing. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I think I put the word out there, but, uh, you know, through brainwaves yeah uh, but but listen you know uh i think steve was the first person that saw some kind of uh charisma mm-hmm. that maybe other people didn't see listen steve I, you know i've spoken to him about this several times he changed my life he did and was there ever a moment, and I, I know the answer is probably going to be no, where you debated whether to say yes or not, like forgetting the Gary situation, but knowing that like you couldn't play musical instrument, you know, that bit of a like, oh my God, like I've wanted this for ages, but can I actually do it? Did you ever kind of question that? Well, yeah, because, uh, you know, like I said, my dad got me this job as an apprentice in the yeah. print. And um being in the band, and it meant that I couldn't be in the band, I couldn't go to work and I couldn't yeah. do um, 
um, a nine till five, right? Because so, so I had to go back to my dad who had worked really hard to get, to get me this yeah. job as an apprentice and say to my dad, uh, look, I need to leave this job that you've got me, you know. And my dad, right, God bless him, did not blink, right? He wrote a letter to the, the manager of this factory and said, uh, this uh, Martin needs to leave for his apprenticeship because he wants to become a pop star. <laughs> And my dad didn't even blink, you know, because he believed in it. Yeah, I feel like everyone he believed in it. You really planted this like manifestation into everyone around you's heads because they all seem to oh, believe oh, in yeah. you. Um, yeah, and yeah. so when was the kind of moment? So when you joined Spandau, when was the moment when you really knew, OK, we've got our break here. We're actually going to be something big. Do you remember oh, it? Oh, really quickly, really quickly. You know, I am. Um, signed my first on my 18th birthday so and then three months after that I think to cut a long story short had sold half a million copies and we were we were touring around the world you know on little ear jets and flying around doing promotion and the whole deal I mean it happened really quickly we didn't yeah. we weren't one of those bands that spent years traveling around in the, mm-hmm. the, a white transit van uh, it happened really quickly for us. When I look back at, a few years ago and uh, we were just starting off as a young band, uh, I see a band that is really tight and I see a band that has got, got some great pop songs. So, um, you know, I can see why it works out. Yeah, and I'd love, I wish, I bet the guy that your dad wrote the letter to was like, yep, he was actually right. <laughs> He's become a pop star. Uh, I, I don't know if he thought quite that, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, uh, let's hope so. Exactly, when you saw you on TV. And also I wanted to touch very quickly on, because I think about me and my sister and, you know, being the older sister and like if my younger sister had been like, I want to do what you're doing, I'd be like, leave me alone. I want to do what I'm doing. Yeah. Did it? Did did you kind of like have that at the beginning or did when you got successful, did it just kind of gel? I gelled, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of weird with me and Gary as well because we were best mates while we were out uh, touring and, mm-hmm. you know, playing all those shows to all those thousands of people you know and um but we worked as within the band we also worked as a kind of pressure cooker yeah where if there were problems within the the five of us then i think it was always the pressure would always be released by me and gary having a huge argument you know sometimes we'd even have a proper fight in the dressing room <laughs> uh, and, as brothers uh, do yeah as brothers do but it, it would release the pressure, what's yeah. going on, and where as if it was if that happened to like two mates yeah. and they had a fight in a dressing room, you would remember that. You exactly, know, that would stay with you forever. But but because it was me and Gary, we, we that happened a few times over the years, and it always released the pressure. And after yeah. that, we would all get on again. And yeah. So listen, but we got on. The band got on so well. For ten years, yeah, I can't tell you. We were best mates. We had just had the the best laugh, and I always look back at it thinking, you know, we were like five boys that went to Benidorm for ten years. <laughs> just uh, a long, it was that kind short, of fun. Yeah, that kind of fun. The big question is, where would you be now if um, you hadn't have been asked to join the band? So, if Steve hadn't have asked you to join the band, where would Martin be now? What do you, where do you reckon your life would have taken you? Um, 
I don't know, to be honest. I thought about this, you know, because, that, I mean, that was the, the one big opportunity I had when I was a kid. You know, yeah. I, was, I was doing lots of TV work when I was young. You know, I was doing all these uh, TV and, uh, like, like I said, comedy playhouse, uh, play for today, all of that kind of television. And I think, in a way, Spandau in the early days kind of benefited from me and Gary having had that experience, yeah. you know, and I think if I never, if I never went into the band, I most probably would have gone back to acting mm-hmm. because it had become part of me yeah. and it had become part of my personality. You know, when you learn something like acting or or you practice something like acting when you're a kid, it doesn't, it isn't a skill that you learn. It becomes part of you, yeah. you know, and you know how to switch your brain on and off uh, and sell something as if it's as if it's real yeah. rather than reading it off a script off a page and trying to make it work it just works naturally yeah. so so i think i'd like to think that i would have been an actor mm-hmm. but in reality i most probably would have ended up in the print yeah, and you more you never would have met Shirley. There's like too many what ifs if that had never happened. Yeah. And um, but it does lead us that nicely onto your second moment, which is part of your acting journey. So it was making the Cray the Cray twin film. Um so you starred alongside your brother Gary. Um, and I guess this was kind of like the real kind of beginning of your big acting career because it was such a huge success. Um, yeah. And I know it kind of led on to make other films for you. So explain exactly kind of how this all happened and why it was such a big sliding doors moment for you. Well, you know, first you have to put it into perspective when you, when the eighties were coming to an end, um, Spandau was also coming to an end. You know, we had reached our sell-by date gone. And uh, as the 80s turned into the 90s, uh, pop music was dying away and DJ culture was taking over. Uh, And right at the end of the 80s, um, I was asked to be in that Crayswood movie. But uh, so it was kind of like the springboard into the next part of my life, which was the second uh, sliding doors moment for me, you know. I don't know how that came around. Maybe about, you remember when all the bands were making really expensive, oh, you don't remember, but <laughs> this is what do. happened. Okay. Uh, this is before you. Uh, in the, when MTV and VH1 and all those music channels came around, all bands started making really expensive travelogue videos, like mm-hmm. Spandau and Duran Duran, you know, would go off and, spend half a million quid on on a three-minute video, uh, which was ridiculous, but that's what we used to do. Uh, And there was a couple of producers that were making our videos called uh, Dominic Arciano and um, Ray Burdis. And they, after I think about 1987, came to me and said, we have the rights to make the Kratwin film. Mm-hmm. Are you interested? And it was really odd because at the time that they came to me, I was literally reading this book called Professional Violence. Yeah. It was about the Kratwins. That's weird. And so obviously I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. You know, but you it was one of those things that you say, yeah, I'd love to do it, but you don't in your head imagine it ever <laughs> happening. Yeah. Because, you know, in this business, you get asked to do lots of things, mm-hmm. but not all of them work out. Mm-hmm. Um, but saying that, by the end of 19, 
89, when the band was coming to its final days, um, they came to me and they said, we've got the rights. They bought the rights off of uh, Roger Daltrey from The Who. Yeah. Uh, and they said, we're going in for this production in a couple of months' time. Uh, and for me, it was, I think, apart from the Spandau moment, this was probably the biggest break of my life. Yeah. Uh, because it, it was a springboard into the next part. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I knew Spandau was collapsing but behind me, you know, not just as a band. It was, you know, we were falling out. We had fallen out as friends as well, mm-hmm. which I never thought would happen. Uh, that whole family that I'd built up there uh, was disappearing, and I knew that I had to move on as an individual. Yeah. You know, I couldn't rely on four other guys. Um, also, I couldn't rely on my brother, as well as I know my brother was in the movie with, with me. But this was kind of like giving me a personal springboard as well. Yeah, we, you know, course. we were in that movie together, but we weren't together as a pair. Yeah, you know, we weren't two actors as one. We were both individual actors in this, um, and so you know, I had kind of like be. I had always felt like I was so lucky being in the band with my brother because my brother wrote great songs, and you know. It, he was uh, a great musician, and it was a chance for me to kind of show what I could do, and yeah. I knew that I could act. So, so it was a really important lift, I thought, in 1919, and it was an incredible opportunity of uh, it to is. Uh, put me back into something that I was really comfortable with, and yeah. that was acting. Definitely, and I feel like as well. So. Did you ever, did you go really kind of straight from Spandau into the film? So there was never a moment where you were like, what am I going to do? Like, I don't know where my life's going. If the no. band's over, what do I do? Did it kind of just kind of yeah. transition one into another? Yeah, because we made the movie and then there was an, a last Spandau tour that was booked in for after we made the movie. And so it caused kind of like, it was a little bit of friction there as well, you know, and I, I will never forget the day, you know, because I, the, the rest of the other guys in the band, obviously were scared that it was all going to come to an end because yeah. Gary and I had gone off and found this other vehicle, yeah. you know, that we were enjoying. And, um, and I will never forget the day that we were on tour and, and on the seats of the theatre that we were playing in, were promo posters for the Crater movie dotted all around on everybody's seat. And I will never forget the embarrassment that I felt with the other guys in the band. That, you know, I was I was trying to keep it separate because I, I could see how scary it was for them that, mm. that the thing was, Spandau was coming to an end. Yeah. And uh, I almost... I just wanted to go around every seat and pick all the flyers up, you know, really? because because it was so embarrassing. But um, you know, I don't think it was just the craze movie that brought the band to an end. No, definitely it was, not. It was the eighties turning into the nineties. Yeah, people wanting different things out of life, uh, and and I was lucky enough to have that second sliding door moment where where my life changed yeah you were and and did because obviously you knew you were good you were like good at acting and you'd done drama before but like what was the public's perception because did you feel like you had something to prove because they just saw you rocking out on a stage they're not going to think oh there goes martin the best actor did you did you have did you feel a bit of pressure of having to kind of prove yourself in that industry 
Oh my goodness, not much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you mustn't let the pressure come on you when, when yeah. you do anything. Anyone will tell you that. You know, you have to remove yourself from the pressures so that you can do a good job. But after we made it, I think I felt the pressure. Yeah. You know, everybody doubting before it came out, everybody doubting how good it is it gonna be, you know. Asking the question, why on earth did we have all these great actors in Britain? You know, <laughs> and why on earth did Gary Martin and Kemp, who dress up as new romantics in skirts and makeup? Yeah, what are they doing here? Why are they playing the great twins? <laughs> you know, I mean, what did they want? They want the same old cast of Judy Dench. Yeah, you know, she could have been in it playing the great <laughs> exactly, twins. Yeah, you know, you might as well get the same people in. Uh, Richard E. Grant, you know, yeah, can do it. Uh, but but you know. Uh, Dominic and Ray, the producers, really believed in me and Gary doing it. Um, so they stuck with us, which I will always, always be grateful for. Um, but I did feel the pressure. But the film, when it came out, got incredible reviews, yeah. you know, incredible. Um, so it wasn't just about me and Gary, you know, I, I like, you know, what Gary and I did. I'm really proud of the performances that we put into that film, but it was also about the script. The script yeah. was absolutely first class. Uh, it was the way that it was written was Gary and I were on this level of plane of reality. You know, we were our feet firmly on the ground and the rest of the movie was kind of semi-theatrical mm-hmm. with the women in the movie. Yeah. who were playing a big part in this film, um, were kind of slightly heightened reality. Mm-hmm. So the two really s- sat together so perfectly. Uh, and that was in the script. Yeah, and that's why it was such a success. Um, because you say it has to be a combination of the two. And what yeah. did doing that film, like, what did it push you into? You moved to Hollywood. What other opportunities were you kind of offered from there? Yeah, I mean, it, we, Gary and I moved out to Hollywood for about three years and uh, we lived out there um but what you realize when you go to hollywood is you know you get there and you go to your audition and, and you, you before you go you think you look great you know you've done your hair right you've got it all down and then you walk in the room and there's the best looking people in the <laughs> <Yeah>. world <laughs> everyone. Well, none. everyone looking like brad pitt and you go oh fuck this you know and it, do you know what I mean? And yeah. it's kind of like, oh, what is the point? And uh, <laughs> but I, I spent about three years there. And in the end, I was working as an American with an American yeah. accent, really? doing the whole thing. And, and I absolutely loved it. You know, yeah. Roman was born out there while, um, while I was there making a film. Um, so he is, in fact, American. Yeah, and didn't know uh, that one. <clears throat> so he, he was born out there, and um, I absolutely love my three years. What an amazing experience. Like, who would have thought? And I guess, you know, thinking back to, you know, looking at the sliding doors aspect, so if you hadn't have been asked to do that film, I mean, how different would your life have been? Because I really think, you know, when, when bands split up anyway, most people go through some form of, you know, you've gone from such heightened success to something so different. And I guess how different, like how much did that change your life and how different do you think things would have been if you hadn't have been offered that film when you did? Well, you know, it's a funny thing. I've thought about this before, you know, um, if it hadn't been for that film, my life wouldn't have taken me in that direction. But then if it hadn't have been for Steve Dagger 
asking me to be in the band, I wouldn't have got that film. Yeah. So is it two stones. sliding doors yeah. or is it one? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, but if we look at it as two, uh, and, you know, you get these, I always think, I've always called um, sliding doors windows of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And you, I think you only get three or four of them in your life that are going to yeah. change your life, that you go through and you decide which way you're going to go. And it's a, you meet, you kind of like come up to a T-junction, don't you? Yeah. And you have to choose whether you go left or right. And I think you only get a few of those moments in your life and it's it's about taking the risk yeah. and taking the gamble uh, to and understanding yourself as to which way that you believe you should go. Do you yeah. play it safe or do you put all your money down? You know, what what do you do? And in the end, it, it, it was a gamble, you know. Um, you know, we could have quite easily, all of the band, stuck to being in Spandau Ballet you know, at the end of 1990, playing smaller shows and yeah. trying to tour around Europe to make money. We could have easily done that. Uh, but the band fell apart, I think, because of the pressure of mm-hmm. the 90s, uh, the 80s turning into the 90s yeah. and success becoming smaller and smaller for the band. So and it tore the band apart in the end, um, which was a terrible shame really, you know, because I didn't just lose the band and, my, and that kind of work ethic. I lost um, my best friends yeah. as well, which which, um, which uh, I always regret, always. Yeah. On to your last moment, which is your time in EastEnders. So I'm going to be really honest, and I, my first introduction to you was as Steve Owen. So I knew about you as an actor before I knew you as you in a band. Um, but you were the perfect villain right. and you played the role so, so well. Um, and we spoke about this before at the beginning, but explain exactly how did you get the role? Um, and I know, as you said, it was after your brain tumour. So after a really big kind of life changing moment for you. So explain how you were approached for the role and explain how this was a sliding doors moment for you. Uh, with EastEnders, I... Like I said before, you know, it came at the end of this horrific period that I had when I was going through four years of recovering from a brain tumor operation, and which kind of like changed my life. You know, before I went into this brain tumor operation, I was probably the fittest, the healthiest I'd ever been. Uh, and uh, I, was, I was actually in Canada, and I was sitting in uh, the, a makeup chair and for the part, I was playing this old scientist who had discovered this formula for everlasting life, you know, <laughs> and because it was this, uh, it was called The Outer Limits, and, and because uh, it was sci-fi horror, it all goes wrong, and it starts to deteriorate at a much quick, quick, uh, quicker rate. Yeah. So I have to wear this ball cap with, like, loads of whiskey grey hair everywhere, mm. uh, and I'm sitting in the makeup chair in the morning, and... As they're pulling the ball cap on, all of a sudden, this huge lump that looks like Ayers Rock on the back of my head just stands out. And because the ball cap is kind of like tight, it kind of accentuated everything that I kind of knew was there, but kind of didn't want to admit it was there as well. Uh, And everybody in the makeup wagon went quiet when they saw it. Uh, and, you know, 
it was lucky because it was my last day of filming. And then I get through the day and I get on a plane the very next morning. And within probably 24 hours, I was in surgery having it removed. Wow. Uh, and it was a massive old yeah. grapefruit like this uh, that was on the back of my head. So <clears throat> that was the beginning of kind of like four years of trying to get over it. EastEnders came to me at the back of four years and said, uh, do you want to come and uh, try out for a part? And this part was Steve Owen. And so, like I said before, the part of Steve Owen completely changed my life. It was uh, full of confidence. It was full of charisma. He was full of everything that I wasn't at that time, you know. And it kind of like putting Steve Owen's shoes on just changed my life. Um, and I remember, though, going up for the audition the first time, because I did it twice, the audition, um, and it was with a producer called Matthew Robinson. Yeah. And I went up to the bin and I sat down. And at that point, like I told you, I didn't even know if I was walking left or yeah. right. Remembering lines was something that I hadn't done for years. And I didn't even know if I could remember the lines. Uh, but I got myself together and I went to the audition and I was terrible, absolutely rubbish. Um, I think I cocked up the lines several times. and But I could feel myself. Uh, the, I knew I could do it. It was just about convincing my brain to get back to work. Yeah. Uh, you know, so anyway, Matthew must have seen something because he let me come back for a second <laughs> time. And when I went back for the second time, I put it all in order. And mm. um, my brain worked for me and, and uh, I got the part. Amazing. And was there ever a time when you were, when you thought, actually, I, I can't do this? Like even going to the audition and, you know, even when you got yeah. offered the part, was, was there even kind of a bigger moment where you're like, I, I just don't think this is right for me right now? Or did you kind of know deep down that actually this could be the best way for me to recover? Both. Yeah. Both. I absolutely, uh, when it first came to me, I didn't want to do it. Yeah. You know, I couldn't go for it. I couldn't want to do it. I was looking for every excuse not to go to that audition. You know, I was looking for to other actors that were talking to me and they were saying, oh, Martin, if you're going to go back into acting, I'm going to EastEnders. You know, it will ruin your career. Don't really? do it. Really? Oh, my and, God. Um, uh, and because at that point, you know, nobody that was that had a CV that was already well-known in the public eye had ever gone into EastEnders. Really? You know, so... So I was kind of like the first one in there, you know, yeah. who had, had a bit of a track record. Career before, yeah. So, so everyone was telling me not to do it because you would lose all your credibility. <laughs> uh, but I knew that I needed to do it. Yeah. I knew I did. But I tried to find any excuse and every excuse not to go up for it. And mm -hmm. using that as one of the excuses and taking on board every time somebody said to me, you shouldn't do it, shouldn't do it. And going back to Shirley and saying, I shouldn't do it. And Shirley was saying, get down there. Go oh, down there yeah. and do it now. And, uh, and like always, all I remember is Shirley going over the lines with me again and again and mm -hmm. again until they weren't just um, in, in my brain, they were also in my heart. Like yeah. everywhere. 
It's brilliant. As you said, like, I think it was such a big part of your recovery process, but also you proved everybody wrong with kind of don't go and do that. It's going to ruin your career. Like it was a really kind of life changing role for you, but also in the soap itself. Like it was a massive storyline for such yeah. a long time. Um, what was your kind of like favorite scene as Steve Owen? Like what would like, do you remember anything just being like, this was the best thing I did? Um, not scene, but storylines. Yeah. Because, you know, when, um, when you're in a soap like that and you're, you are put as the focal point protagonist of the storyline, you're, you're working all the time, you know, uh, and it's a lovely thing. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's a lovely thing. Uh, but most probably the uh, Matthew Rose storyline when, uh, when I get him sent to prison. Yeah. And then he, he comes out and we, we, uh, do you remember we, uh, knock off Saskia? Yes. Um, we hit her over the head with the, ash, with yeah. the ashtray. Yeah. I mean, um, there is a scene, a lovely scene that I always look back on where it was, um, me and Matthew digging a shallow grave <laughs> for Saskia. Yeah. And sticking her in. And, uh, that, that scene for me maybe, uh, is one that sticks out in my brain. Oh, else. great. And do you think there's still, I mean, obviously hopefully not the villain side, but is there still a part of Steve Owen that lives inside you now? Oh, absolutely. When, uh, you know, I told you like, you know, I, I think I literally stole Steve Owen's confidence. And yeah. his Charismatic personality. Uh, and it's something that I don't think I use all the time, but if, if say I walk into a, a room where there's a like a party or drinks going on, and I'm the first one there, you know that awkward feeling yeah. that you get. You know, <laughs> where is it? And I get that feeling where I'm, you know, I'm the first one there, but I can feel everybody looking at me. You know, I will use that confidence to say, you know, get out of my way. I've arrived. So again, the big question is, how different would your life be now without taking senders? I mean, I think there's so much that would be different for everything that you said, but, you know, where do you think you'd be now without that role? I don't, honestly don't know. You know, I think I have to go back to, like I said, you know, I have to go back to, it was Steve Dagner who got me the role of, um, Probably, no, it was probably Anna Scher who got me into <laughs> entertainment, who got me the, the role in Spandau Ballet, yeah. who, who Steve Dagger got me the, uh, moved me on to the Cray Twin film. So it's kind of like, where would I be? And also, like, as you say, I think even probably your time in EastEnders, the catalyst for that was probably the Cray Twin film, because yeah. actually that's how, you know, because as you said, you've been off the scene for four years, but yeah. people knew your acting was good and they, they kind of like knew that. So I think that's what's been brilliant about all of your moments is they're all so linked together. And this is why I love doing the podcast, because it's you can really reflect back on, as you say, the different decisions and paths you've taken, but yeah. the stepping stones that have got you to where you are today. Yeah. I mean, it's very difficult. You know, my path has always been inside this wonderful bubble that we have called entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that bubble has always been my hobby. Whether, and I think I would be doing it whether or not I'm earning money from it or not. But I've, over the years, I've been lucky enough to, to be in a position where I do earn money from it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's an incredible thing. Martin, it's been so brilliant to chat about your life and your moments and, you know, just delve really into your story and everything that happened and really good luck for your TV show. Um, it's such a feel good show. So I'm really excited to watch it. And um, yeah.
It was lovely to Thank chat to you. Thank you so much. Lovely chatting to you. Yeah, really enjoyed it. I feel like uh, I've just had cheap therapy. <laughs> Perfect. That's exactly how I want you to feel. Thanks, Martin. All right, great. Nice, nice talking Bye. to you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.